0: What's up, everyone? Welcome to
1: Cinematic Underdogs. I'm your host, Paul Keelan.
0: And I'm your other host, Jordan Puga. And we're here
1: with a second time guest, Juan. And Juan, first of all, welcome back to the pod. Oh, well, thank you very much for having me, gentlemen. Thanks for coming. And uh, we're excited, because first we did Prefontaine with you. And this is your first time with you and Jordan. So it's first time with the trifecta going on. triforce uh, <laughs> Yeah, we're almost like
0: the mighty Power Rangers here. We, we need two more. <laughs> All right. if you're a Power Ranger, what color are you? You gotta choose uh, one color. Actually, like, I like the one that was no one else liked. I like the Blue Ranger because as a kid, I just like blue, but he was the nerdy one. But I mean, come on, blue is a cool color. So I, I like the Blue Ranger.
2: I'm gonna go with red. Yeah. I mean, that's like, I guess, like the classic answer, but definitely the red one.
0: He did have the sword too. I mean, it was hard not to yeah, like, yeah, yeah. had the cool weapon, like, got the starring role. Can respect I'll, that. <laughs> I'll go yellow. I'll, I'll do the. Utter opposite probably of what
1: someone <laughs> me has. But anyways, uh thanks for coming back. Once a runner, former track star, and she's also a big fan of the NBA. I remember we uh bonded over
2: one of our first dinners. I think they had the playoffs going on. We were Pistino. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. And then that was the the connection between like, I think first it was talking about movies, but then once we realized like, oh, we could also just chat sports for the rest of this night, like that was a, an easy segue, you know, to, that's how you get a night going really quickly. I mean, Juan, you just sold our podcast.
1: The idea was sports movies, like can't just talk about one or the other and fill an hour and a half. So we'll talk about both. <laughs> um, <laughs> So anyways, we also went to a game, right? We saw the Suns play your, your uh, not your hometown team, but where did you grow up on? Yeah, I grew up in
2: San Antonio, and I think that's the game we saw, right? Oh, it right. is. So it was your hometown team, and uh, we were in the nosebleeds, but that was a blast. Very fun, yeah. I, that was when you had that bet, right, where you, like, needed... Him to make better, you <laughs> needed him to make one of the last two free throws at the end of the game and we're like there's no way he goes 0 for two at the end of this game like it's already done he's gonna make at least one and just bricks two in a row and that was the craziest ending <laughs> to a game that otherwise like didn't matter at all so that was a good one
1: that was hilarious i love that you remember that
2: yeah we had like eight rolling with us right eight
1: people and i was yeah. like telling everyone wait wait we can't leave right because everyone's leaving they're up by like eight there's no pressure Chris Paul at the line, but I'm like, my my bet riding <laughs> on this right here. And Chris Paul is like a 92% free throw shooter and he bricks both. <laughs> I left so demoralized, man. But I also left so, so stoked on, on his play. I've been to a few games since. I don't even know if I've told you on, I've sent some photos of Jordan. Cause my neighbor, his roommate is the video guy for the sun. So we're like basically courtside. And watching Chris Paul play, man, it's like, I feel privileged. That guy is such a general on the floor. I've said this a few times. And watching someone who just sees everything on the floor and makes the most beautiful passes ever, to me, it's like better than a good dunk. Like his passing is just virtuoso level. Like it's beautiful. I love it. So I'm glad I'm going to see him ride like his last years out here in Phoenix for sure. And I'm glad we're talking some basketball because the topic of the day is hustle. So we're we're doing a topical recent film, <laughs> which we rarely do, and it's pretty exciting. Also kind of a little bit of a, I would say, maybe a comeback film for Adam Sandler. We'll get into that a little bit more later because I know he's super popular right now off of Uncut Gems. But what's unique about this one is it's also Happy Madison. So it's not just him working with an auteur. Um, it's him <clears> back <throat> on his own lane, but he's actually doing something that's quality. Uh, but before we get into that... Juan, I want to know a little bit about your your relationship, your history with Adam Sandler. I know Jordan and my own, our history is shared. We watched like Happy Gilmore, I don't even know how many times, and Billy Madison, I don't know how many times on Sleepovers
2: as kids. <laughs> I, I want to know a little bit about your like, just like your past with him. Yeah, and we talked about this really briefly right before we started taping. But yeah, I think a lot of like just the quirky movies growing up, it was like not, you always even as a kid kind of knew that these were like sort of mainstream movies but not mainstream movies and always had that quirk to them a lot of them being sports movies which I kind of never really thought of growing up it was just the next Adam Sandler movie coming up I remember like Waterboy being really big and like Happy Gilmore all those different ones that were coming in and out of either like cable tv um I don't remember my parents like watching them as often or being like really big on Adam Sandler or thinking of him as like a top tier actor because he was doing a lot of those quirky roles. But since then, I didn't really follow a lot of the movies that he's made. I mean, I remember seeing like The Longest Yard maybe was like the last one I'd seen before this one, which is, I guess, another, another good sports movie. But other than that, I have actually have never seen Among Cut Gems. And I don't really remember anything else between Longest Yard and this that he'd come up with that I'd spent a lot of time with. Just coming in, do you, are you like Adam Sandler is like comedic gold, is he
1: like kind of borderline offensive because he's just such a juvenile comic bit, or some are just like even more lukewarm and just kind of like oh, hey, just Adam Sandler, just like whatever.
2: Yeah, I think maybe the latter of those because I I think of the movies now and I'm like some of them probably didn't like age as well as other comedic movies could have gone. I'll still pop in The Wedding Singer once in a while, you know, so I feel like that was probably the one movie that's kind of stood the test of time for me. But otherwise, yeah, not a lot of like rewatchables um, in the discography that I'd really look at a lot. But but yeah, pretty lukewarm, I'd say.
1: Jordan, how about you? What's your
0: favorite Adam Sandler sports one of all of them? Oh, sports one? Happy. Oh, that's actually hard because you guys have a few. I'd have to say Happy Gilmore, because that's actually the first one I, I was introduced to. That was one of the ones I remember my mom took us all to go see, like the block kids to go see, because we all played like hockey. So we saw, oh, it's a movie about hockey. Is the way we saw, not really a movie about golf. And I remember, remember, we're all stoked because, like, in the trailer, he had a Bruins jersey. And that kind of made us all stoked because we all like street hockey. But just like a side note, one of my favorite things about when we left, my mom was like, my mom wasn't like a fan of Adam Sally, but she was like, well, at least he didn't come out with a Rhino's ass in that one. Like referencing Jim Carrey, which had to take us to I think that same year or something like that. So she's like, she's like, I think I like that one a little better. But yeah, I think that one still stood up. Like out of all of them, uh, there's a lot up there. But like, I did kind of fall off though. Like after like Funny People, which I like, but like Growing Ups and those ones, I think it was probably like the last one I saw. And I I didn't see that one in theaters. That, but I didn't see like Uncut Gems. Uh, But yeah, my favorite have to be Happy Gilmore. I think still. Holds up. Definitely what about you, Paul? I, what would you say was your favorite Adam Sandler movie? Happy Gilmore.
1: I mean, I think it's his most iconic film.
0: And it always will be in a way. I, I like,
1: one, your your love for The Wedding Singer, though. That's a great Sorry. film. But I've seen for 90s kids. I mean, I don't know. Some people like Billy Madison because it came first. But, like, you watch it back to back, you're going to laugh like 10 times more. I'm not trying to say Billy Madison's not funny. But Happy Gilmore is funnier. And it stood the test of time a little better. I mean, it stood the test of time so well that Shooter McGavin is currently a Twitter phenomenon. Like there's a, a gag tweet account that's just Shooter McGavin. And he posts
0: about like every golf tournament and uh, various anniversaries. And <laughs> it's like it's hilarious. So Actually, Pasta Pasternak from the Bruins at the All-Star game just did a whole Happy Gilmore bit for the breakaway best breakaway shot where he came out with like, his clubs and a putter and he had the happy Jersey and you know, that, that's this movie's like almost 30 years old probably now. Right. And like, you know, it's, it's the fact that people in the arena, like really got it. And like, I think that one, I think that one might've won it came in second or something like that, but like people really dug it. And like, I'm like, I thought it would fall flat, but you know, it still has an audience. Yeah. I mean, didn't they, uh,
1: correct me if I'm wrong, Jordan, because I watched his bits and pieces of the NHL all-star weekend, but I think
0: they had like a golf tournament with the hockey players. Right. And they had like, yeah it Was like played on the green and you had to like sauce the puck across the green, get it onto like you know, do a putt shot. It was actually really cool to watch. Like I think mean, it got kind of chirped because I guess it could be boring, but like anyone knows hockey players love golf and they're having so much fun. They had pro golfers out there kind of giving them tips. Like it was actually funny. He's like, I think i do this, but he's like, But it's a puck, I don't know what the hell it does, you know. So like take your shot. So yeah, it was pretty fun seeing them combine like their their hobbies and their profession. I love that we're talking about All-Star Games
1: too, because before we were on the air, we were talking, chatting a little bit about this weekend, the NBA All-Star Game. And um, I'm forgetting the name. Juan, do you know the guy's name? The I think he's from Virginia. This I'm gonna call him out as just a white kid because that's also a, a big part of why it's so astounding that he just like killed the dunk contest, right? I mean, we do have a movie yeah. called White Man Can't Jump. <laughs> um, yeah, Mac, Mac McClung. Oh, that. mm-hmm. okay. That's it. Yeah. And so it's funny too, because I just remember now, I didn't even remember this off air, is that he's signed to the 76ers, right? Oh, really? Yeah. He, I, I think he is. I, I Someone uh, hopefully will do some research to just verify that. But I think like five geez. days ago, the story goes, or something like this week, he got signed to the 76ers. I wonder if they signed him because they knew he's this dunk. Phenom and wanted him
2: to like get his shining moment. Um, yeah, and well, the the narrative when they released the dunk contestants was that he was going to be the first ever dunk um, contest contestant that was from the g league so everyone had always been professionals before them which i guess also ties into this movie too but he yeah so he was gonna be the first g leaguer so it was kind of like just a like quirky thing that he was going to be in it and then maybe he would like somehow win as the g leaguer but then he gets signed to like i don't know if he got signed to a 10 day or something like that very recently so then has the 76ers jersey so Pretty cool that he got that opportunity. Um, I think like maybe he was drafted by the Lakers, if I'm mistaken. I can't remember. I think he was like playing with the Warriors, like developmental leagues for a while. But then yeah, was bouncing around. And I think there was the other narrative around him was like, why doesn't he go, I think, overseas, but he's like, I just want to kind of still hustle in the G League. And I think he was playing pretty well. But It's got another chance and then definitely used the best of it from the slam dunk contest. I don't think he like missed a dunk. I think he got it on the first attempt, which is always, I feel like, the the hard part to watch it. (laughs) It's like, well, you see the highlight, but you don't know how many dunk attempts came before (laughs) that. But I think he made it on the first attempt all four times. One was, I think, two people. One person was on the other person's
1: shoulders and they held the ball and he had to grab the ball from the guy on the top right and dunked
2: over them. Yeah. yeah, he like grabbed it and like hit it against the backboard and then put it in. It was pretty insane. That is so insane. And then there was one, I forget what the announcer said, but it was like
1: a half pump and then a full dunk on a spin. I, I don't know the terminology, but he called it something. He was like breaking it down in the replay. It was fun. I was watching the Shat Cam too, and that was really fun. <laughs> Shat Cam was like, call it a night, call it a night <laughs> after like the second one and the by the final one he was like he was like dude just save the dunk contest you know as i was bringing up earlier yesterday i was curious about the context because they asked john moran who is undeniably the most exciting dunk artist i'll call him in the nba today right he throws down on like a weekly basis and they asked him if he wanted to be in part of it and he was like nah, just like no he didn't even say anything else it was just like that dismissive so it was like I don't know what the sentiment was towards it. I thought it was always a fun thing. Like it doesn't risk like that much. I don't know why people would not want to participate, but it sounded like the the big shots were just like over with it. So it sounds like they might be thinking again about it. Since uh, one thing I did read today was this Mac McClune kid got a, a contract by Puma too. So nice. if that's not unreal, right? He just signs within the week and you he, now he's you know he's rocking an endorsement deal i mean that kid's on cloud nine and, and steph curry was tweeting about him uh, it's pretty fun All right
2: Um, Yeah, Ja Ja would be great next year. And I I know they interviewed Zion Williamson, too. And I think they both played like AAU or something together. So if I mean, honestly, if they could just get that head to head, get rid of the other two contestants and go dunk for dunk, like that would be really fun because you got the power and then just like the pure like velocity that John Morant can dunk with, it'd be be pretty sweet. I mean, yeah, you could throw I guess the only other huge in-game dunker right now is like Anthony Edwards also in this movie, but if you could just get job ja versus Zion, the the childhood heroes, that would be pretty sweet. Yeah, we're going to talk about Anthony Edwards. I mean, he's the villain of our movies. <laughs> he's a And he's a good heel.
1: I, I'm excited to get yeah. into that. Before we go there, though, Juan, I want to know, we, we talked about your top five uh, sports movies of all time. But since you're here for a basketball episode, and me and Jordan get a spout out week in and week out, I want to know some of your favorite basketball movies of all time, especially since you love
2: the sport. For sure. Yeah. I mean, number one, I feel like this is probably most people's hoop dreams. Uh, I think the first time I actually watched that, I was in like freshman English class or something like that. And the teacher just like threw it on. And we I don't even know if it had like any sort of curriculum (laughs) attached to it. But I remember watching and being like, oh, yeah, this is exactly I think con like the context of not having to work and getting to watch it was all I needed to to really love it. I guess like the classics like Hoosiers and Space Jam are, are two other ones. One that, like, not a lot of people have watched is this one called Second Chance Season, which is, it's like a Nick Young documentary. Shout out Swaggy P, um, who was playing for, like, the Lakers for all. He's probably most infamous for the meme where he shoots it, turns around, throws the hands up, and then it, like, doesn't go in. Um, And also, uh, the newly acquired uh, D'Angelo Russell back on the Lakers. The other thing that he's known for is, like, having the big breakup via Snapchat and with Iggy Azalea. This is, like... (laughs) years ago but where uh D'Angelo Russell like c- catches swaggy P like talking about having an affair on snapchat and then that like blows up that iteration of the pre-LeBron Lakers <laughs> which was always just like a weird <laughs> a weird dynamic that went after that but I love that documentary though I mean it just kind of follows him and it's just like a like the rags to riches story that's always nice with the like continental US basketball teams. Um, but other than those, I can't really I'm sure I'm missing some big ones. But those are the ones that come to mind first. It's a rich genre. I mean, hoop dreams is fantastic. It's by some
1: publications considered the best sports movie of all time, almost kind of across the boards in the top five, like it's with Rocky, it's up there with the head honchos of the genre. I know Roger Ebert championed it like crazy because it's based in Chicago. And he. I think ended up meeting the director and becoming like a huge champion of the film for years and years. And that combined with the fact that like our culture at that point was so much more centralized, right? Like we all had like 10 critics pretty much dominating the discourse, right? We didn't have social media. Made it, I think, this little film that could, right? It just like took this little, I don't know how long it is, but it's very long. It's like four or five hours, I think. Maybe I'm overstating this, but I think it's at least three to four. It's very grassroots right it's just about kind of the ins and outs of being a high school player who, who's somewhat of a prodigy who's being recruited right and just all of the things that go into that and i love it just for how nitty-gritty it is how detailed it is but i haven't seen that uh um, swaggy p1 that's gonna be fun i was a big fan of i mean i still am but of like ucla basketball when nick young was a usc player so i was i saw him all the time in college too so i've been following him for a while how about you, Jordan? Let's throw you in here because I, I haven't really talked to you actually in all of our episodes about basketball movies once. so like, What are some basketball movies you you love before we get into our main event?
0: Yeah, that's a tough one. Obviously, like you said, Space Jam is the go-to for me. Now, um, I don't know if you count it as a movie, but The Last Dance is definitely up there. I've watched it a few times. And like we've talked about on this podcast, it's one of those ones that's like super quotable and just weirdly dramatic. So I do kind of count it up there as that. But now I would say High Flying Bird is, like, definitely up there for me and, like, comparable to, like, a lot of sports movies. So I'd I'd say those, yeah. Space Jam, completely opposite ones. Space Jam and then High Flying Bird. I was really impressed by that one. That one's one of those ones that definitely stuck with me. Um, I'll probably talk about a few... I'll probably reference a few times here because I think it applies to this one today, too. Very relevant for this movie.
1: I thought of High Flying Bird a lot Mm. while I watched it, especially with
0: seeing the real-life players. Oh, I forgot. Escape from L.A., too. Kurt Russell with those fucking skills that we forget with the patch. You had to shoot with a patch on, man. Come on. <laughs> but- <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love the genre. I mean, love and basketball was
1: fantastic. Uh, I think uncle drew was a feel good charmer. Like I thought that was going to be just garbage. Right. And I went with my dad on father's day and we had a blast. <laughs> we smiled the whole time. Loved it. What else? Oh, there's a Nick Nolte one. I think it's blue chips. Oh man. I'm blanking. It's something with blue in the title. That one is fantastic. Nick Nolte is oh. a tour de force in that. He's just like this monster of a of a coach. He reminds me of, um, help me out here, Juan. He's a college coach with white hair, uh, Knight something. Um, he was in the... Oh, Bob Knight? Bob Knight. Yeah, he's like Bobby mm-hmm. Knight. He's it's pretty much like taking that prototype. The unhinged uh, coach who loses their shit and throws their clipboard and chair every game and gets kicked out. Figure... Oh. And and gives them like a full on story and then throws in like a cheating scandal in the recruiting process in there. And really good. So, yeah,
0: I mean, there's a uh, also has anyone seen the Tupac Tupac one above the rim? No, not since I was a kid. I've seen it like, yeah, my sister's a giant Tupac fan. So <laughs> I've seen ever seen that one. Actually, I forgot white man can't jump. there's not one should have put on there. But those are two that were always in the background of my house, too. Yeah. White man can't yeah. jump. And everyone here like Space Jam, the original more than number
1: two. Am I the only one who thinks number two is like 10 times better? Oh, I feel like man. It, man. like ba-
0: based on our last viewing of it, I'm kind of with you because I remember <laughs> actually watching like, I fucking love the original space Jam, man. I, I had like the toys and everything for it. Like I used to watch that movie so much like Mighty Ducks. But yeah, the second one I think might be better. I think I'm just like have like rose card lenses because I love that soundtrack. Uh, But that the new movie actually, I thought it was pretty good. Pretty like creative and interestingly meta. So I'm, I'm kind of with you on that one, Paul, I think
2: yeah i would say the same thing with you jordan on like the nostalgia of the soundtrack of the first one like i remember having the space jam cd and it would be like just playing in my room as a kid so like having that difference it's like i know the soundtrack better than i know the actual movie so i just kind of like collapse the two together
0: i feel the exact same way yeah so we agree with you paul you're not alone we're on that rock yeah
1: Well, I'm at least glad I'm not alone here because, yeah, Space Jam 2, I mean, I get that it's a sequel to a gratuitous film in the first place, but when we rewatch the original... Besides the product placement around the film, it's just, to me, underwhelming. Like, the jokes are not that funny. The animation's pretty bad. Michael Jordan is really stiff. But that that's part of the charm. I get it. I'm not trying to overly critique these in any way, shape, or form. But, man, I, I like the IP nonsense in the second one. It was yeah. just like, dude, it took it like... It's like a McDonald's commercial on LSD, in my opinion. It's just <laughs> wild, right? Or it's like Ready Player One meets, meets a Nike commercial. And so i was on board totally anyways let's get into the the film of the day uh let's get into hustle a 2022 film came out straight to netflix so (laughs) we're back to the 90s or something right with the straight to the video culture right we're on the straight to the streaming culture so there's no box office but there is some awards that this has actually garnered and some some hype this is nominated for a sag award and i think it's just adam sandler who got nominated for best actor um, so pretty major accolade for a little sports movie. That's kind of formulaic, but quite feel good. And Jordan, you brought up high flying bird and this one has a ton of basketball players, right? Real life basketball players. That one had like four or five. This mm-hmm. one has, I don't know, someone help me, help me out here. Like how many would you say, do you want to do a tally or close write them down?
0: And let me be the first to say a lot of them. Cause I don't follow basketball as closely as you. Went right over my head. Like I got a sense that these are athletes, but that's not a knock on their acting in any way. Like what I'm saying is, like I was so situated in the film because, like I said, I don't even follow basketball. But like our main antagonist, Anthony Edwards, I didn't even realize he was a fucking big ass baller. (laughs) I thought he was just a really, (laughs) really good fucking antagonist in this movie. So I just want to kind of give that caveat before you like name the list. I only knew like the ones from the '90s for most part, and like earlier, like Dr. J's. And there's like. Like, right away, even though I'm, like, kind of, like, on the outskirts, I'm, like, there's just a great history of basketball already in this movie. Um, That was, like, in the first 10 minutes of this movie. I was already, like, damn, there's a lot going on here, and I know I'm missing a lot of it. But what I'm seeing on the surface, I'm, like, shit, this is pretty encompassing. Both, like, within, like, the history of, like, the sport and also just getting you into this movie and, like, this, what's going on. I was really impressed with that in the first 10 minutes.
1: Absolutely. There's a lot of jokes about how, like, it has – the IRL of every like basketball team on here. Like it's just like so much of the NBA somehow got associated with this movie. I don't know if they shot it during an off season or when they actually shot it, but from coaches to you know legacy players to current stars, I mean everyone's in this. We got Chris Middleton in here. We have references to Ron Artest and Scottie Pippen multiple times. We have Doc Rivers who's like a not a major role, but like coaching in an arena with Adam Sandler. I mean, yeah. the like faux reality that's going on here, like the blending of fiction and realism is really on point and fun. And it makes it feel very real. It almost makes it feel like some sort of a docu-fictional hybrid. So yeah. uh, Juan, I'll let you kind of get in here. Like what are some of your favorite cameos here? Because you're more, I think, on top of the NBA right now than in- either of us.
2: Yeah, I thought the cameos were at some point like impressive, and then other points like so funny. Like just the people who they chose to be in the movie. Like I guess when you're deciding who's making these cameos, like at some point you want to know like who's going to stand the test of time, where you like know who these people still are. Because I'm sure everybody could gather like, okay, that's probably a professional basketball player, given that on screen they look like they're six five and above. Um, But you know, how are we going to actually? know who those are moving forward it's going to be hard like obviously the Dr. J is really obvious you know I would imagine like Dirk Nowinski is going to probably be known for a long time but then you have the the smaller roles like the Jordan Clarkson or the the Aaron Gordon like towards the end of the game so it was clear that they were actually like them playing themselves but then there was other times where I wasn't sure if other players were playing themselves or were just like cool cameos are going to be in there I thought it was really nice that they had this like Spanish national team players in there for a little bit during the scene where they bring him in and say like oh we got some people to like practice with you or whatever like I thought that was a pretty wholesome moment given that the lead actor Juancho is on the Spanish national team so I thought that was cool to get his brother in and some of the other like classic Spanish players there. There was like some places where like I didn't know who on the 76ers was like a real person and who was not a real person. Um, So that was a little confusing because I thought Tobias Harris and Seth Curry were not themselves when they were doing like that challenge scenes or whatever. But then it turns out they were later (laughs) in the scene. So that was always kind of funny. And I really love um, Jordan Clarkson, who I can't even remember quite who he plays for right now. But he's really funny. The thing that I know most about him is he had like no tattoos one season and then the next season he was just blasted both of his arms and like up to his neck. And I think he might have one like under the eye now, which I think that that's like such a funny thing to do (laughs) as a person in general, but especially when you're in front of people performing day in, day out. And maybe my favorite part of the movie is when they're doing this like long sequence where Trey Young hits a three, three more people hit a three and then he goes up for a jump shot and just bricks it. And I'm like, how many times did they try to shoot it where he made it, but he like just couldn't do it. And they were like, all right, let's just leave it in, move forward. So cameos overall, really great.
1: Yeah, no, I like that you bring up this weird liminal space, let me call it, or this, I don't know, distortion of persona and character, because like Anthony Edwards is playing a character, like you think his name is Kermit or something. Yeah. And, you know, Tobias Harris is playing himself, right? Or Dirk is playing himself. Definitely. Because Adam Sandler... At that point is in this kind of extended comedic bit where, you know, he's using the translation on the bus in Spain to recruit, you know, the prodigy, our, our second star of the film. He comes across playing street ball, and it ends up like sounding like he's trying to hit on him. Right. Because mm-hmm. it's a very Adam Sandler-esque gag. Right. It's kind of simple. It's kind of silly but it is kind of believable because i mean having lived abroad in korea i've been in many conversations where someone pulled out their phone to try to do google translate and it ended up <laughs> in very hilarious you know detours that were just like mind-bogglingly bad but like you know he brings up dirk to prove to to the kid and his mother that like he is legit like that he is uh nba scout and has connections right so a lot of these actually serve a pretty fun purpose too that's i think what i love so much is like what function are these cameos going to fit right uh kenny well, what's his last name he's a, he's such a personality he's on uh tnt uh um, kenny
2: kenny the jet smith
1: okay yeah kenny smith right he's really funny and he's kind of like his best friend I would say in the film, right? Kind of his confidant, and like they have funny bits where really casual banter. Like I love the scene where they're eating brunch at a Spain hotel, and they they get Kenny to like do this very Adam Sandler joke, where you know he's telling Adam Sandler's character here, Sugarman, uh, Stanley Sugarman, to turn around and check out. The titties. Oh. And you're I'm thinking Kenny Smith is doing this? Like he, I mean, this, this is kind of like a little dangerous territory, right? This is a little juvenile, but also just like a little cancel culture-ish. And then it turns out to be like this this like kind of chubby middle-aged dude, right?
0: Oh, it's man boobs. Man boobs, yeah. <laughs> <Right>? So
1: <laughs> I was wondering what the off-ramp was there actually. But like I feel like it would be a hard sell for Kenny to just be like blatantly misogynistic, even in his character, because he's playing kind of himself, right? Uh. Or just like a womanizer, right? It was like, is he really playing himself and a womanizer in this movie? Like, how did Adam Sandler like talk him into doing this? This is like such a bad PR move. And then it had that the punchline, which which worked. Because that's like one of Adam Sandler's, I think, late career gags is like the the dad bod, right? He always is joking about his own dad bod. Mm-hmm. And like, I think he made a joke, one more sandwich or two more sandwiches and I'll be like at, the, at that same point, right? Is that guy. I, I, that's throughout this movie too, right? Like the first... 10 minutes is basically a montage of adam sandler eating every ostensible fast food meal you could think of right yeah, like uh, abroad <laughs> abroad though right that's that's always the key which i thought was really interesting too because i like that really to me resonates as like what adam sandler is he's like in a weird way synonymous with like america like in this like very postmodern sense like You know, he's a Brooklyn, New York Jew. I only said that because he's not like the Daytona version of like America. Fuck yeah. You know what I mean? He's not like that. But he's a different form of like Americans see Adam Sandler and feel like America. Like Mm -hmm. something about him resonates. He stands for like our eras of like an icon who's just so of us. And everything about him is just like so he's always so comfortable, but also like closeted in a weird way. In an almost refreshing way, because he's not xenophobic, but he's just like kind of happy go lucky. And in that sense, he's very American. Like it's a stereotype abroad that Americans are kind of like illiterate and they lack fluency when it comes to cosmopolitanism. Like we lack culture, we're not sophisticated, right? Mm -hmm. And the fact that he was just eating junk food, fast food, McDonald's, KFC, and Burger King abroad just actually really fit the character perfectly for me. And I liked it. And I liked that he was just like proud of it. In a way that wasn't like, I don't know, patting himself on the back. But it, it I don't know. It, the little touches in this really worked for me. But going back to the cameos, my favorite cameo is in the first 10 minutes. And it's the guy from the Mavericks, um, Boban Marjanovic. I hope I didn't botch his name. Is he Serbian?
2: Oh, that's a good question. I'm not sure.
1: That cracked me up though. He, he, he comes in and uh, that's sure, Adam yeah. Sandler in, on his recruiting trail. And he's in like a small gym in let's call it Eastern Europe. I don't know exactly where Marjanovic is from. Right. And the guy has lined about his age. Right. And okay. It's kind of a an, an ongoing kind of passe gag, right. Of an athlete falsifying their age but i love his kid comes in right and his kid's like six eight as well and has like a full-grown like mustache (laughs) he's 10 years old adam sandler sells these really well like he doesn't call him out i really laughed at that like this had a really fun way of blending adam sandler's sticks like his his comedic humor Mm -hmm. but making it not so like cringe making it not so puerile jordan you, you probably could touch on this a bit too
0: yeah, I was, I'm glad you brought that Boban one. Because that's a perfect example of, like, I don't even know he's a basketball player, but his delivery on the line, and he's like, how old are you? He's like, 22. That's your son over there? Yeah, that's my son. And he says, yes, me, 22. <laughs> it's one of those perfect, like, perfect representation of like the foreign athlete in there I, I dug it i like i, said, I didn't even know he was a basketball player until the credit scene so like, like i forgot that was like super That was like the first that was you said that was the first cameo huh right see the first cameo was like right over the uninitiated right over the head i think it's like a good sign
2: can i add one thing Bo, bob bond's also in john wick right is he in the third one or in the four i don't remember which one he is but i've i've seen him in the trailer oh okay
1: I love that. So we have the Bobon multiverse going on.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think he's the one where he like, I think maybe like bites on a book or something and he gets like killed by Keanu. I can't remember, but he's one of the people I think. Oh, in nice. book.
1: I mean, he makes a killer European mafioso or like mm-hmm. thug, right? Big like
0: henchman for sure. <laughs>
1: yeah. The big henchman. Yeah. Dude. Like
0: henchman for the final box. Like he's got that, like uh, the dude who plays Jaws. I forgot his name from 007. He's got those vibes for sure. Um, Yeah, and I'll add the last
2: last cameo that I thought was really interesting is they had, I don't know if y'all ever watched like N1 Streetball when you were growing up, but it would always be on like one of the weird ESPNs. (laughs) And I was obsessed with that when I was a kid and it was always just like weirdly shot basketball games, but it was all just like streetball stuff and all like the tricks, basically like Harlem Globetrotters, but more like urbanized in different ways. And they had the professor who's like a really famous yeah. um, guy and then They had, I guess, a couple other people that I just missed, and I didn't see it until the end credits. But I like that they had like an homage to some of the like N one mixtape stuff. I don't necessarily know how that fit into the broader like themes of the movie, but I did think that those were cool people that they had in. They also had like Lethal Shooter, who's like a really popular Instagram, I think, person who's like he's a trainer, but I think he's like more viral on like showing you how to shoot and things like that. Mm -hmm. So having those two people in the the like training montages was again, like super niche. And like, I didn't even recognize a couple of them. But if you're, <laughs> I guess in really in the, yeah. the space of, of basketball culture right now, then somebody could probably caught all
0: these. That's a cool detail.
1: No, that's a great detail. I'd say this is like a two-part protagonist, like I mentioned earlier, right? This is a story of the mentor and the athlete. I saw someone call this Rocky, if it was f- told from the perspective of, uh, help me out here, who's Rocky's?
0: Oh, his coach? His coach. Mickey. Mickey, Mickey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? so
1: this is like, if you remade Rocky, put it in basketball and, and told it from the perspective of Mickey. So um we have Bo Cruz, which is played by a real-life NBA basketball player, a Wancho, Juan, can you help me out here on this last name? Her- Hernan Gomez? perfect and at the time of this movie he was on the utah jazz but now he's actually on the toronto raptors and i was looking it up i went to toronto raptors game and he played about six minutes so about a month ago i saw him in person i didn't even realize it which i'm bummed about so like (laughs) i saw him i was like you know row 18 pretty close but
0: i didn't put two two together you could have had an athlete and movie star sighting in one damn (laughs) i guess you you had it
1: yeah. What does everything of everyone think about his performance? Uh, there's a lot of um, also acclaim for him here kind of across the board. All started off, I think he's very understated and I think he really sells it more than most professional athletes do when they have a role this meaty. Like it's not a small role. It's not a cameo. Like he is in this a lot and he has a lot of emotional moments, a lot of dialogue and so forth. So I was impressed. Uh, what does everyone else think about about his performance?
0: I thought he slayed it. Like really, I, I really did. I think it's a well-rounded performance. I don't have any complaints about it. Like the emotional attachments, the pathos was really there. The ethos with his ability, like his physical abilities. Um, like I said, another dude I didn't know was playing professional basketball. I just assumed he got cast for his like size kind of thing. But like, yeah, he's the perfect. I can see why they went with him for the for like the lead. And like you said, the fact that he was in like I didn't know he was on the Spanish team and all that adds so much more to it. Uh, but I was really impressed by him. I was really moved by his performance. The connection he gives off with his family, whoever they cast it for that. And this was very moving. And like, it works on a way like, cause it is a pretty like cliche sports movie, if you will. Like it's only like an hour and a half. It hits all the beats we want. Like we can go through and has like great montage sequences, has the fish out of water, you know, coming home, the American dream, uh, doing it for the family. I was talking about this in like big green, all these movies from kids, movies, to like adult movies. But I was really like moved by the overall like arc. Like you want it to be cliche and come full circle when even though it does right you know, like the, the journey twists enough and goes off track enough that when it gets right back on track you were like you just feel so comfortable with it and i think it really does have to do with Bo cruise character who was a wancho in real life his character as our hero right because even though adam, Ka- adam sandler's our like you know main character or protagonist he will he is like the like you know wancho has that hero's arc that traditional down the dumb. So also like i said the hero's journey with adam sandler is like a mentor figure it's like a cool subtext. I think it just kind of like carries under this like movie and like really just like you want to celebrate that. And, I, I, and you do. I think he just really sells it. Um, and it has to do with his like not really modesty and he's not really like stoic. Right. But like there's there's this tinge of like of innocence. Right. And that scene with his mom really explaining like the passion of sports and him just doing everything for love with the family. These basic principles really just shines through with the, with what we get out of uh, what they were able to get out of him on, on screen. Uh, so I was really on board. I mean, yeah, I was telling in goodness too. I was impressed with him too, but I was really impressed with him at the end. I think he's probably the the star, like the star performance of this one for me.
2: Yeah, I thought he was great as well. I question that had, and I don't, y'all probably know better than me. Is is there any like precedent for? A uh, professional athlete entering their prime, but not like a superstar being in a movie or like being a lead in a movie in any way. Because I, I, I mean, I think of like Michael Jordan and LeBron yeah. and the Space Jam's, but that's like the top tier, and then everyone sort of like filling in the holes. But I, I couldn't think of one that is just professional player deciding to do a movie while being a professional athlete but like no one necessarily like not a lot of people know outside of maybe like the teams that he's playing yeah. for
1: oh got know. it so they're like they're a small player kind of like an yeah. uh, an unknown got it mm-hmm. I, that's a good question it's that's like, gonna be always
0: cameos like pele is a cameo in that one that we were watching with stallone mm-hmm. um, but also
1: pele is a world famous yeah. icon right so you're asking like is someone just like kind of the 10th the man or the 11th man or the 12th man, whatever you want to call it on the bench, right in the pine and getting our mm-hmm. performance. Uh, I was going to say, but then you, until you shifted to that and pivoted to that kind of caveat, I was going to bring up Ray Allen, right? Because Ray Allen, but he was such a big star was the, the lead in he got game. And I think uh, also at yeah. the prime of his career, uh, mm-hmm. and that was a real also intense performance, like a Oscar worthy level performance, I think mm. Denzel actually was maybe nominated for it in that film. Not sure. I mean, that's, that's like a good leaving. example,
2: though. Yeah.
1: But no, I think he's very nicely muted and casual, right? Like, he he has a really believable rapport and chemistry with Adam Sandler here. I'm talking about Wancho. And I I believed his backstory, um, even the details that he's a construction worker from Spain. And they sell it really quick, just like him tying his workman boots, I think is his introduction to him. That's the mm-hmm. first shot we have of him, right? and he's playing basketball in those boots and i love that about it and he's more interested because that's all he knows with like winning like i guess 200 bucks on streetball competitions than like even some at some point's going through the rigmarole of being recruited he doesn't quite get the system yet right so you know jordan that works with your fish out of water narrative they also do a really nice job here of creating parallels between sugarman sandler's character and his character, right? Because we learn as the movie goes on gradually about Sugarman's, you know, background that he was also a huge college star or at least a really top tier athlete who drank and drive and crushed his hand, right? And ruined this team's chance to go to the national championship. And we also learn that he got in a big brawl, I think, at one game. So we learn that he kind of has a temper too, right? And that's one of the ongoing motifs or or I think dramatic twists, is that you know Bo's history keeps getting brought up right like he has a domestic battery or or some sort of battery assault right for beating up i think his um, baby
0: mama's new boyfriend
1: yeah exactly which is believable um because he loves also his daughter and um then that works because when they fly his daughter out to try to give him moral support and emotional support anthony edwards perfectly gets to have a few digs and you understand okay that's going to get it under his skin to, to another degree and that, that worked well, like this idea of having to have thick skin and having to have that perseverance. And, you know, I, this often happens with the coach, right? The coach has a similar journey to the players in all these films, whatever it is, whether it's like, you know, recovering alcoholic in the Mighty Ducks or like the dweeby younger brother in Little Giants, right? Like always the coach has their own journey and it's sort of parallel in mirroring the player. But I thought they did a really nice job here of making you feel like they need each other to some degree like adam sandler really does kind of need him and i think the inciting incident of the whole movie though is more adam sandler and his professional dynamic within the organization of the 76ers right because we have a great five minute i don't want to call it a cameo but a performance by the great robert duvall i mean he was fantastic in this oh, yeah. in my opinion really sells like so much in his like short time on screen, he rolls up with the Rolls Royce. I love that disparity in the parking lot, right? The, the, uh, the shot of the Rolls Royce, and then you see Adam Sandler getting like a I don't know what it is a sedan of some sort, and then he jumps in the back seat, right? And he's this respected icon of Philly with the smug asshole son, right? Mm-hmm. And what does that conversation talk about in the back of that Rolls Royce? Adam Sandler not sticking up for himself, becoming sort of a pushover. And that becomes a major uh, narrative throughout the film. So what do, what do you guys think about that? Let's get into that a little bit, because you can bring up to the real villain of the movie is not Anthony Edwards. He's just kind of a small villain. It's, mm. it's Ben Foster, right? I, I don't know yeah. his name in it, but the, the owner's kid, for some reason, every time I saw him, I thought Justin Timberlake. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: because he was, he was an alpha dog, uh, Ben Foster. He was like uh, one of the brothers, like, an alpha dog he's the dude who, like whoops ass at a party if i remember right <laughs> he has that great fighting scene i was like damn ben foster can get down
1: Somebody's about out style though and the hat he's wearing i'm like dude what's timberlake <laughs> doing here oh wait, it's not timberlake <laughs> every single time man <laughs>
0: that's too funny i actually like ben foster i played such a good like prick he sold me as like a, as a you know the boss's son that you hate that like, you gotta sit across from him and like you're always like telling me he's wrong and then you gotta tell the boss later like i told you yeah he, did, he sold it pretty well i, I like ben foster he's, i think he's, he's a pretty solid all-around uh actor in most of the stuff he appears in. But that goes back to like the first 10 minutes of this movie being just like fucking like just laying it out pretty strong. Like like now to me, it was like the first 10 minutes is like high flying burden, like draft day, like the best of those movies, just like in your face. Like here's the working part behind the scenes of the team. It sucks just like your job, like but like like most people's job. You got to work for someone's boss. And sometimes that boss has a kid. And you know, even though you put 30 years of work in, that kid's gonna override your good comments. I like I love the way it's like set up. Um, and Robert Duvall just laying it like the subtlety of his role. He's not you know angry, he's not over the top, it's all like delivered, really like not like in whispers, just like never back down. It's not that motivational, but it's delivered with enough like gravitas that it really does like carry like the mantra for the movie. And I like that. Like, it's like you said, it's so simplistic, but all the little pieces, I think kind of add, stack up enough. And like, it's being delivered by Duvall just adds to it. You know, it's like, oh, they got him. Like you said, like, it doesn't really qualify as a cameo. It's definitely like a kind of like show off, like, you know, and it just really sets a bar, I think for everyone else in this movie, even if they know it or not. And they, I think rise to that bar. It does have a sense of reality to it. Like it feels like a, people have written like a based on a true story kind of story for for real it definitely has that to it and I think the other part of that is the behind the scenes like the working life balance between Adam Sandler and his wife Queen Latifah is a, again that's where the comedy comes in them like chirping each other and bantering each other her calling him fat and all that really plays they have that idea of making fun of each other's past histories as former athletes and now they're washed up and they like to make fun of that they're washed up it's not necessarily Adam Sandler comedy right? That we know like the fart jokes and all that. Uh, But there is like a a comedy brought up front that's supposed to make you just like crack up. And it does. And that comes out of like him being so, like you said, not necessarily disgruntled, but beaten down by the job, but still having a passion for the job. Right. I think it's something a lot of people can relate to if you like what you do, but maybe you don't like the system you're in. Right. That's something a lot of people struggle with. And that just pushes his arc forward too. like you said, that that kind of a threading between their, the coach and the, and the player. Right, that satisfaction with life, and them using each other to get that. So it's like pushed pretty well in the first ten minutes, and it establishes this cool ecosystem that that is Philly. It really brings Philly to life too through that. Right, they have the boss who's the owner, the city attachment. When you find out he dies, the the radio delivery is just perfect. Like it's everything like Invincible wanted to be in like an hour and whatever it was, but just never got to be because it's you know it's a Disney movie and whatnot. But like. This is, like I said, the first 10 minutes, I was like, I was like, oh, I'm liking this. This is like Philly, like the talk of the love of the fans and the hate of the fans, too, from the from the organization, them knowing no matter what you do, they're going to always be pissed at you until you win. The way they sprinkle that into the first, like said, 10 minutes of dialogue, I thought just put set it up perfectly. And they really just like delivered on that. It, it, It was like this nice specter of the city in the background that also like added the um like the exigency of like why they need to succeed, right? Is like Philly fans can never be pleased. So I've really, like I said, I think they checked a lot of boxes off. I'm using it as a praise, not that it's formulaic. They checked a lot of boxes off and like really just set this up well. And I think it does, it really comes down to those first portrayals of we're getting Adam Sandler is both like likable working class dude, but also like funny. Like he got he some good quirk. So he's not too into the serious role. It's, it is, it's like a balance of what this production was, like a happy Madison and whoever else, you know, was the other partner in it, but.
1: Actually, I want to bring that up real quick before I send it over to you, Juan, yeah. because it is interesting. It is actually LeBron James's studio uh, team. So this is a Spring Hill Studios or Productions, I think it's called. So I think this, in that sense, makes so much sense, right? It's the, the child of someone who's going to be s- so about the league, right, LeBron, and someone who's going to take this other half of the industry, right, who knows how to make these feel good sports movies, even if they're like more silly in Adam Sandler's past, he knows the formula really well. Yeah. He knows how to write these things and together it it really works well. And we all know if you know Adam Sandler that he's a huge NBA fan. So this is just a, like most of his movies in his later life. It's a vanity project. There's like an ongoing joke. Like when Adam Sandler wants to take a trip to like wherever he's just going to make a movie about that. Right. Like he's just kind of like giving himself excuses to do what he wants and, and cash in checks at the same time. And I mean, you can't quite blame him for that. But uh, but it is the way it is. So one, I want to hear about your sort of take on the the behind the scenes stuff. Right. It's very draft day like I don't know if you've seen that one or or all these other movies where you get a little bit into the corporate entanglements and tensions.
2: Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was really cool that it was like made a whole movie about things that didn't ever have to do with like an actual game ever being played, like on the Mm -hmm. NBA level. Right. It's like there's the right, the all background noise and all the different ways that like people are hustling in different ways. And then the the way that it eventually ends up is like now we're doing scrimmages and getting to the scrimmage is feels just like it's like a championship game. So I liked how bringing it back all the way to the sort of like who we're going to draft and who we're going to actually be scouting kind of reset where the starting point was to then kind of end that arc at like the championship game, which was like this scrimmage that nobody was actually a part of so I did like that piece of it how kind of reset expectations yeah a lot of the things Jordan that you said I really agreed with I liked when that that scene where Adam Sandler is talking to Juancho at the end and the the drive and Juancho saying like oh I'll pay you back you know for like all the money that he had been spending and Adam Sandler is like oh that was like the best month of my life which I think was a cool piece to get into like he doesn't necessarily want to be like an NBA coach he just wants to coach like he just wants to be in that piece of like development and actually kind of mentoring players and stuff like that, which I think also kind of got back into the broader sort of like a Philly spirit of we're not actually like going for a label, we're going for that just like blue collar being part of something piece of it, which I thought was really nice. I mean, I thought that kind of shined through. Throughout the whole different different movie. I thought that some pieces I thought were interesting. Especially when I was like oh this is a Philly movie. And Paul you told me that like two days before I watched it. So I was like okay I'm ready. And when I was thinking like basketball Philly. I thought the soundtrack was going to be just like so full of like hip-hop the whole time for some reason. And it definitely had that at different pieces of it. But then other times it was like these weird like kind of swelling like strings playing in different places. I think like in the montage. I was watching this with my girlfriend and we were comparing these montages to like the Creed montages, which is like in recent memory, the kind of Philly piece of it, where those are almost always like big time hip hop while Michael B. Jordan is just like crushing it. This was interesting because it was like these swelling strings while the montage was going on. So it like was almost like a departure from feeling, at least personally, like Philadelphia, which I thought was a, a interesting choice by whoever was thinking about like what the score was going to feel like.
1: So that's interesting because the score was actually done by Dan Deacon. I like they brought up uh, Creed, though, as well, right? Because we brought Rocky, of course, is so obviously referenced here, right? With the montage sequence at the end of it, he runs not only up the hill, but like up the stairway. And they, they say something about Rocky. Do you remember the exact reference, anyone? Or I think Adam Sandler says something about it, or someone does.
2: I think when he gets to the top, he just like throws some punches. And I think that was like the reference to it.
1: The reference enough, right? I also appreciated like, okay, they bring up Philly and they bring up the fans, right? And they're like the best fans in the world that he says, because they're the worst fans in the world. And that means they care. All right. I love that line. So they they get Philly fans, but it is also kind of interesting because this movie is so much about like developing tough skin. And so like set it in the city where you have to have the toughest skin. And in some ways, this is also just a plain workplace Coming of age story, right? Uh, in the same vein of American Beauty, of someone who is stuck in a rut, they feel like their job is becoming perfunctory, and they're having a late midlife crisis, right? And I, I like that you brought up that scene in the car where Adam Sandler says, "Like this was the best month of my life, more than anything, right? Even more than coaching, I think he needed to just have a purpose to fight the system, to fight his own routine, to 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 break the norm, to step out on on a ledge." Another great example of this type of movie going somewhere very different is Jerry Maguire, right? Jerry Maguire. And this are almost the most identical, I would say any two films that that we could probably compare it to, which is funny because I didn't see many comparisons to it because what is that movie about? It's about an agent leaving a company to stick up for one player. And the whole movie is just like his relationship to that one player as a lifeline and Mm -hmm. as like this desperate, I just screwed my life over. You have to make it. Otherwise, I'm like forever like blacklisted from the league. Right. Because there's there's a good period in this film where Adam Sandler, he's getting slandered on TV by Ben Foster's character. They they're they're talking about how he's unhinged and so forth. They're 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 creating spinning this narrative where he's almost unhirable again. Right. Mm-hmm. And we meet his family. Right. And I think Queen Latifah does a great job. Actually, as his wife, I think that their banter works when he's like making fun of her, their feet. I love when they're making fun of the fact that they like married, wanting to have a really athletic child, and they have a great daughter, she's really like just perfectly cast as well. And then they make a jab at their daughter at the dinner table, right? (laughs) And she gets salty about it as she should, but like, I don't know, they just had a really believable chemistry in their family that I appreciated. Um, I also appreciated. That even his daughter has a similar very on a very small scale level role here too, where she has to in some ways find her footing and they, they, they set it up uh, very, very subtly I, when he drops her off at the, the cemetery viewing of uh, that a classic horror movie right early in the film he he has this conversation with her about like, what are you doing about college? Where are you applying to? And she wants to go to film school, but she's scared she's not going to get in. And and Adam Sutherland says, it's not you against these other people, it's just you against you. And then we see her become, you know, the videographer for Bo, right? We see her talent being used in a very organic way throughout the movie and her kind of finding her own voice and vision. And she's the one who ends up kind of saving the day in a way, right? Because she's like, hey, look, this is already garnered, like, I don't know, uh, was it like 2 million views? It was a lot of views on whatever platform it was on. And that's when they get the light bulb moment to bring in Dr. J and, and have this comeback story because Bo was getting kind of shunned by the NBA insiders for the combines, right? He wanted to go to the combines. They wouldn't let him in. And so they they had that whole fun grassroots scheme, very uh, high-flying bird, right, Jordan, <laughs> where they think of a way to use social media, uh, as a launching point to get back at the system to beat the system to circumvent it, right wow that is so on point for high flying bird right
0: no definitely one-to-one with it <laughs> like, but in, in a good way like you said because it did really tie well to the daughter's story like her finding her her journey right finding her career calling if you will which is obviously through through phil i like also the thing i like when he kind of chirps her again he's like oh she did a great job filming this of you play i don't know why she had to put her name on it right it's like again a little like kind of like humor in there the father-daughter humor and like you said really giving it like kind of pointing and nodding out how the how the film will like or this dilemma will eventually be resolved like i said a lot of just like film 101 in here but pretty good i thought like pretty well executed for the most part
1: yeah um and we also get sprinkled throughout a lot of funny one-liners right especially with that tough skin narrative and adam sandler in these practice sequences shooting barbs right at Bo, right (laughs) and and they're really funny they're like laugh out loud funny usually his one-liners are only funny in the sense that you're like ironically laughing or i mean no i'm not gonna go that far because he is often very funny but but lately i've watched actually a lot of his late era movies like the cobbler i've watched the ridiculous six rain over me like he's been in a rut before uncut gems like they're awful just unfunny grown-ups and grown-ups too were terrible And I was really smiling when he was like talking crap to Bo. Did anyone have any favorite one-liners here? I mean, I brought it up a few times already, but I love that he compares them to as as if Squatty, Pimpin, and a Wolf had a baby and Allen Iverson was the babysitter. I thought that was great. I love that we also had an Allen Iverson, like the OG of like our era of the 76 have a self-referential gag about his practice viral clip, right? I forget how they weave that in, but he says something about like, oh, it's only practice or this guy doesn't need to practice, right? Um, but anyone else have any favorite one-liners from Adam Sandler here?
2: Yeah, I can't really remember a lot of the the digs. I know a lot of them were doing that like shooting drill where he just starts talking about like his mom and saying like his mom doesn't get paid, you know, for her. and it was, it was just a... Very they were dumb. like pretty silly. Yeah. For very Adam Sandler. Very silly. But but but, but good good one liners. And I think, yeah, definitely like not as crass as like things in the past where it's like oh where it might yeah. not necessarily play well. So I think it was like right on that line.
0: Yeah, one of the things I liked about them was they're, they're one liners that you would hear in a crowd. Like if you really go to events and especially if you're going to Philly, probably like you probably hear a lot of fuck your mother ones there. Right. So like, yeah. it's one of those ones. And it, it's like it's such a good one where it goes, it leads into like the you know zoning out the crowd and all that, which is depicted pretty cool with the camera work on it. But that was one like, that was such a good inside moment, especially like going back to uh, Anthony Edwards, uh, his dialogue, like on the inside, the whispering, like the shit talking, like. I mean, those are so, like, spot on when you get, like, the mic'd up stuff. I mean, you get beeped out, Mm -hmm. like, really, like, uh, authentic, I thought. When he Mm -hmm. did that, like, I, I immediately laughed, not because, like, what he said, but I was, like, reaction i was like oh this is such a good depiction of like that rookie but like because I, I honestly like I, I i sit behind the net at king's games and i yell at players <laughs> you feel so good when they turn around and give you a look <laughs> like if they look at you you know they hurt you, like, you know, I, like i sit behind the goal and i'll yell at the goalie like especially if they change I'm like like one more goal you're out woman they go I'm like i told you sometimes you get like a turnaround like oh man like and you're sexually go like, oh, they hurt you you know so like it was what the delivery of it, i was like oh this is such a good like behind the scenes training moment of like how do you shut those fucking idiots behind you up? I'm one of those idiots. Like how do you get that <laughs> out? Of I was like, I was dying. I'm like, oh man, like I, I felt bad for what I do, like pretty much in that moment.
2: Yeah, I definitely Anthony Edwards definitely delivered those like trash talks way, way too well. Like it got it just like kept escalating and it like went too far halfway through and just kept going up and up. And when he like blew the kiss to his daughter, I was like, oh geez, man. Like <laughs> I hope that this is scripted, but a part of me just believe just like knowing what I know about Anthony Edwards that he might have just like gone off script for this and he goes "No, let me just think of the worst thing I could say to somebody and I'll just like have the camera rolling.
1: Man, Anthony Edwards really did a good job too because I, I these are stuff that's really basic like, you know, like Spain is whack where's that whack place or something right <laughs> uh, but it's felt so casual it felt so like immersive and genuine like and he didn't oversell it he didn't become that like ridiculously slapstick as heel. like i believed his trash talk because he did it all with a, a subtle smirk yeah. and a nonchalance like he, he wasn't affected he wasn't trying to over sell these lines they did a really smart job as you mentioned jordan of having him whisper them right for the most part i think that really helped yeah i think in a really nice way in a kind of strange way to like over phrase uh an actor right because it's kind of a a silly role just to be like a guy on a court whispering, you know, disses and insults. He did a, a, a good job because those I've seen those. I've seen the villains in these movies turn into such bad characters that it does kind of take you out. You lose your suspension of disbelief for a second. But yeah, I, I like the Adam Sandler isms here. A lot. I I love the little ongoing joke he has with the daughter about giving him uh, side hugs and then like she gives her other friends hugs like he is such a good comedian at being the everyman dad or the uncle. He's so avuncular in the sense that like he's this jovial kind of cringe, but not like he's just soft enough and he's just nice enough that like he's able to straddle the line of especially in our culture. Right. Like today, like 20 years ago, it's not a problem at all. But today, he still is able to flirt with the line of of being, you know, in a really benign way, controversial. Where, but, he, but he doesn't offend, really.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's somehow very family friendly. Um, even when he's saying cra- crazy stuff, like, <laughs> I think he, he says about a truck full of shit emptied itself in your mouth at one point. <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. I was just like dying. I was just like, that is pretty repulsive. But I don't know. Somehow, Adam Sandler saying it somehow dilutes it enough that it that it just feels like kind of, kind of authentic, kind of silly. And he is a pretty fun mentor figure here. Like a lot of his disses are objective based, right? I think when he's driving behind him in the car a few times, he's like making jokes about like the fact that his stopwatch is going higher than he thought it ever could go, right? Like he's like, I think he says like at one point, like I didn't even think this thing could go this high, right? So he's like that good coach who has that sardonic humor as well um which like, which i love
0: he, like uses the biker who keeps trying to pass him and he has like the go he'll feel like fuck you get out the way thing he's like he's gonna beat you he's gonna beat you I, why you gonna let him beat you like and love how it becomes like this reoccurring like you know goal to beat the biker right and then they finally get that which leads to like the rocky moment like you said he runs up the steps does the punching and all that but it was like again kind of another way to bring in the the city if you will in, into like the training montage
1: and what did you think everyone about the training montage because it is one of the longest training montages we are going to get in a sports
0: movie i think it was on like the
2: letterbox comments where like somebody was like yeah i thought it was going to end like five different times and then it just somehow (laughs) went back into being the montage And i was like yeah that's exactly what i was thinking too because you had you had told me paul i think maybe yesterday or the day before, you're saying like, yeah, there's a very like Rocky-esque montage in it. And I kept thinking like, okay, this is the one, like, wait, wait, no, maybe this is the one. And it just, I kept going on and on. So it was, it was good though. I liked it. I liked the different drills that they were doing. And it was like, it had that good, the mix of like the Rocky stuff where you're, you're, you're getting like unorthodox training methods. And like when he is like the plunger type thing and moving it around with the and the different lights and stuff, which like you wouldn't ever think about those different things or like having the tire where you have to throw it through. Like I thought all that stuff was pretty, pretty cool. And it it made for a good montage.
1: Yeah, I agree. I I like the about the props, right? Jordan and I have talked about this in other films too. Like you always have to mix it up somehow and Mm -hmm. somehow make it cinematic, right? You don't want to just see a guy doing suicides. But then I say Mm -hmm. that and I think of Miracle, right? And that's probably one of the greatest sports movie scenes of all time where they're just doing suicides <laughs> so i take that back but but it does give it some novelty right or some ingenuity how about you
0: jordan what did you think about the montage actually i liked it like you said i didn't realize it was that long you guys actually broke it down because like what you said earlier one the music was really captivating in those scenes like it did a 180 degrees like you said it was pretty heavy with like hip-hop and some kind of like electric sounds in the beginning and that one, I remember having this sick, like, piano line at one point where it just, like, went off. It went so well with the feet running, with the wheels turning. It's like an episode of Chef's Table. i you just cook up that meal you want to fucking eat. Oh, no, I was really captivated by that one part. I knew it was going to end with a Rocky reference, but I liked the way it culminated in the Rocky reference. Because it needed it. It's a Philly movie. And it was all kind of sprinkled in there, right? So I I, I liked it. I, I was kind of just, like, ran through that m- montage. So I didn't realize it was actually that long, to be honest.
1: yeah. It's brisk, right? It goes at a very fast clip, so it keeps you entertained. But it is quite long because, like, they do the plunger like four times, and they keep going in this circle, right? Not like yeah. They brought up the plunger. I don't know what it was, but a lot of these drills I'd never seen, and they really do a good job of showing off the incredible talent of being a basketball player. Because Wancho is a tall guy; he's not who you'd expect to be like this epic dribbler. But like when he's bouncing like the, the small ball and putting it through his legs with another ball, it's like he's almost juggling and like almost in like a carnival acrobatic figure, in my opinion, like his dexterity and synchronicity and coordination, I thought was really fun to watch. It was a little odd that he had so much trouble getting the ball through the big wheel because that seemed like the easiest of all the things he was doing, like the other stuff he was doing, like was blowing my mind, uh-huh. like even hitting the lights. That scene was pretty impressive to me. Yeah. Um, but once again it was very cinematic to have a big will. You want to have something to visually show talent and to show progress. Mm-hmm. And I also believe that like these drills and the length and the span that we get, the fidelity that the film gives to these drills pay off in the sense that we see him coming from a street baller to someone who has more stamina, more endurance and is going to have even deeper edge when it gets to the the hustle, right? Uh, of the combines where like your 50 meter dash is essential that extra inch that'll get you a block versus getting dunked on is essential right and if you practice that hard as they show in this film and you're already that talented it, it becomes believable the one thing though that i thought was a bit silly is like a lot of the video sequencing they did right where he they give people like money if they can dunk on him or shoot on him okay i'm sorry but like any nba player is going to school like some (laughs) pudgy dad in the streets of philly like like at first like they go up to like a group of guys that look like okay they're like one tier actually below the nba they're actually very talented on some of these streets right like more unorthodox and so forth but like a lot of these guys are as juan mentioned earlier like and one level talents street ballers can ball but they had a few. I was just like, why would they choose this guy? Like, that just doesn't even show anything. I get why they had like Queen Latifah or whatever. That was a great moment where she like tries to throw it over him and stuff, just for the the joviality of yeah. it. But, but that kind of threw me off I a think little bit. You're I was talking
0: like, about that giant dude, right? The big, the big old guy with the belly and like the headband. Looked like he was from the Midwest, but he's probably like, oh, he's probably like a real local from Philly who was there that day. And they're like, we got to get him in here, dude. He probably showed up with a cape and they're like, all right, let's get this dude in here. <laughs> That's what I, that's what I was thinking. I'm like, this dude looks too real.
2: I did think that that was interesting, and and I've never seen like a basketball montage where it is all like defense oriented. You know, I feel like anytime you get the the great like one on one scenes it's always gonna be like okay who's scoring the most points who's getting like the big dunk at the end of the the street you know league and having it just like oh nobody can score on him like that was very different <laughs> than anything I'd ever seen before which i thought was a, an interesting play and I know like honcho is known for being like a pretty good defender um I don't know like if that played into it at all but I thought that that was just like a interesting like other take on what like the one-on-one could be because like you think of one-on-one it's always like who scores more not necessarily like who can't score on this person.
1: You bring up a really good point there though because this film really does a good job of feeling authentic in the sense that we're looking at the intangibles and also the subtleties of being a professional basketball player here right that's what you want to focus on if you're having a film about the combine and someone trying to make the league right you know there there is in the beginning like oh this kid's hitting like 80% from three in, in, out of his shots. I think they said like he hit like 36 out of 40 shots from from the three-point arc when he's calling them and trying to pitch in the very first scene. I'm talking about when Sugarman calls the office at, at the 76ers and they, they turn him down. Um, but then, you know, as it goes on, you start to see like, okay, they're finding like what side of his talent to really emphasize. Like where is his real edge to get into this league? And it's more of his defensive talents, right? Uh, it's more of his blocking skills. I don't know. I really like that they talked about like another player for a second. I forget his his name, but he's the one that Sugarman was not on board for, but the rest of the owners and GMs and assistants were on board for. And Sugarman's talking about how he's late on rotations, and every time he's not playing, they lose, right? I'm talking about a completely different player, but it was showing what they look for when they're recruiting these players, right? which is very much what we get in draft day with Kevin Costner, right? Where like, they're looking at the intangibles. They're looking at like, does this person make the team win? Or are they just putting up stats? And we're getting all the things and we're getting this really tough segue of, he has to somehow sell the league on a street baller. And they're very different skills. And it's hard to make that transition. Um, And I thought they did a, a good enough job that you believed that maybe a team would take at least a risk on this kid by the end of the film. Do you, do you believe that he would have gotten that contract from the, the Celtics, right? I think Brad Stevens comes in with his cameo. Do you buy into it or, or do you think like, nah, he's still not good enough for the league?
0: I thought based on the presentation of the game and given like the two ways he, not fails, but the two like drops in the arc where he has to rebuild himself up in front of the same audience, right? The same scouts and kind of, I could kind of see that, like like you said, the it, it, it rings true. Uh, the way it kind of wraps up, especially because it feels so insidery with all these little relationships, the way the cell phone calls work when he calls in his favors, and like the people who only want you when you have something to give to you, right? Who don't have your back still want him is so will always ring true, particularly in sports and entertainment. Yeah, that was one of the things. Like them coming back to to that bucket seemed seemed plausible.
2: Yeah, for sure. No, I agree, and I think it's interesting. I've I've heard um like NFL players, like especially defensive players, saying like you really have to be careful like what you put on tape, because the tape is like somehow like what everybody's gonna be looking at nowadays, because you don't have to be like traveling across the world as often. So I did think that it was interesting that they kind of brought in this idea of like, okay, but well, what if there is no tape on somebody? What if he hasn't been playing basketball in whatever, like eight years or whatever they said? That it kind of then does bring in this like. Or of mystery of like, okay, this person could be amazing, but it instead of having like the reference point to how talented someone is, which is always pretty much like tape now, or like what's the mixtape? What's the like game that, that was recorded somewhere? Now you like actually have to be there to watch it, which I feel like really made a good play on how important these different scrimmages were because you couldn't you had nothing else to judge him off of. So I thought that, that was cool. It like made everything feel a little bit more urgent every time he played any of these scrimmages. So I thought that was a cool, cool idea. And yeah, I'd say you'd probably get probably get a shot. <laughs> I like how they said like, oh, he could go to the G League and then Adam Sandler was like very against it. He's like, no, we're not doing that. Like we're getting drafted by someone. So that that also was like an interesting insight into what would be important when you're at that like cusp.
1: Yeah, I thought that was interesting, too, because I actually do watch like Instagram videos of someone in the G League right now because he's a UCLA star and he didn't quite make the team. And it was interesting, too, because a lot of his drills, like he does a lot of these showy drills, because even at that point, when you're already on a G League team, you're still kind of trying to, I think, promote yourself. So it's funny, like his Instagram stories is like him doing these very cinematic moves and stuff with his trainer, like on a weekly Mm -hmm. basis. He throws it out there. I'm talking about Johnny Juzang. And He's doing excellent. I hope he gets picked up by the Jazz soon, actually gets on the main team. But but I like that they were kind of going all in just for, just for dramatic reasons, right, to get in the league. And it has a great payoff in the sense that he doesn't end up on the 76ers, which he shouldn't because like Ben Foster's the evil bad guy in this film. And he kind of burnt that bridge. And I like the fact that Adam Sandler, though, didn't go to another team, actually, as well. I like the fact that he stayed in it with his nemesis, ostensibly, right? And got his role as an assistant coach. And I like the fact that they're playing against each other. And there's a sort of camaraderie. I love the one-liner he says, where he says, like, don't tell my team I'll be rooting for you or something, right? (laughs) But they have that. They have that sportsmanship in this league, right? It's such a incestuous league, to be honest, because players switch teams so often that they're best friends most nights with multiple players on the opposite team. It's weird because, like, the, the, the rivalry factor does kind of pale in comparison to many other sports and leagues.
0: Yeah. I think that's they're one of the problems. Like you said, that's a good example, though. I thought it was a good portrayal because, like, you would never see that in the NHL. Like, it's what they call playing tummy sticks. Like, you're not supposed to, like, play tummy. Like, you can go by and, say like, give, like, a one, like, stick tap. Like, you play with the dude, like, in the on the U.S. team or whatever. But, like, save it for after at the bar kind of thing. Like But I do like seeing them like, like you said, the genuine, like, him wanting him to win, wishing him well and all that. And then he goes to his team and gives him, like, a little tip. I like seeing that, like, just it kind of show the league in, in a true light, which it's kind of known for, like I said, among the big, like, four sports. For that reason, like, people know each other a little too well because you get traded so much.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Because right. um, NFL players are pretty friendly too, but yeah, not, not to that level.
1: Not to the same degree, I feel like. <laughs> I feel like it is this weird family, and they're they're all families. We talked about that in the Hard Knocks, right? Mm. But I mean, NFL too is a crazy contact sport. It's yeah. tougher to be so...
0: to keep that mental edge before the game. <laughs>
1: yeah, buddy, buddy. And so even hockey is such so, so yeah. more like physical sport. So th- that that's quite a difference too. But like soccer, I think you become... Really antagonistic to your opponent, okay. which is interesting, even if you're not that physically embroiled with them, right? I mean, sure. you fall and cry like you are if you're a professional, but, <laughs> but you're not in real life. Anyway, this has been a blast. I think we tackled a good chunk of the movie. So I think we're ready to get to our underdog or overrated votes or final takes. And uh, we'll start with you, Juan. And just to remember, this is not a thumbs up or thumbs down. It's specifically underdog film or overrated film. So you could kind of blend it however you would like. So, So where does this film fit on that spectrum for you?
2: I would definitely say an underdog film. I mean, I, I really, I think it like matches a lot of the themes of what we'd want from like an underdog sports movie and has the, the rags to riches story. It has all the different, like, it did a really cool job of showing like all the people who needed to be involved in the process and not just like one person's like brute force getting them somewhere, which I, I like those those movies as well. But this was kind of a, an interesting play. Like Queen Latifah's character, making the meals for the week, you know, like I felt like that was a cool idea of like, it's a it's a family affair. We're all going to make sure that this works out um, because it's going to be sort of like mutually beneficial for everybody. So I thought I had a lot of, of those really key elements. And I think it's interesting how like, it's hard to know when the new sports movies are coming out, like what is going to be the general reception to it. I wonder like among professional basketball players, like what was this sort of received like? Were people really into it? I don't remember like LeBron being like really promoting it. I don't remember how close this was to Space Jam coming out, but I remember like the rollout for Space Jam was huge. I don't really remember the rollout for this movie being as big, like right, it was the release on Netflix. I remember seeing the trailers and stuff like that. But when I actually watched the movie, I was like, wow, this is an NBA heavy movie for NBA and sports fans. Um, I thought it was interesting that it didn't have as much, at least like publicity that I remember it among between commercials like in the mo- and like yeah. the game playing like i imagine that would be a good space for it. so anyway so for all those different reasons i would my votes for underdog
1: that's an interesting point i wonder if adam silver and the nba is actually behind this or not they kind of have to be right there's so much product placement for the nba in here like they're going mm-hmm. to use the names of the teams and a lot of the players but that's a good question i don't even know because we know like <laughs> for example any given sunday wanted the nfl yeah, I didn't get it. To get on, be on board in the NFL, like shun that movie like kryptonite. <laughs> and
0: now it's in a Super Bowl commercial. <laughs> or it's cool. The the irony, it. it's a right? Super Bowl commercial, excuse me.
1: The worst one ever, man. That was so terrible. <laughs> was
0: pretty crazy. Sorry.
1: Sorry. So bad. I, I feel bad. And it wasn't even, was it Serena Williams? I think so. It wasn't her fault. It was whoever chose that idea and said, I'm going to have an amateur actor give one of the greatest speeches of all time in a commercial. That idea is never good. Like you don't give Beardy. an Al Pacino iconic speech. Like one of the greatest speeches Al Pacino's ever delivered, all of his films. And he's fantastic in a Super Bowl commercial. Nah, sorry. <laughs> terrible call. But yeah. I'm uh, with you,
0: I can't remember what beer it was for. That's how bad it was. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, it was terrible. Um, uh, where does this fit for you?
0: Yeah, I'm with one. This is for me as an underdog. And actually, for a lot of the reasons you said, like, I remember. This being like kind of a little people talking about online, like, oh, this is a good Adam Taylor kind of back thing, but like, it didn't really gain a lot of traction. Like I said, this is the first time for me watching it. So I kind of had this on my list for a long time. just never went around to clicking it. And I feel like I've just forgot about it, but there's no real push behind it. Like you said, on TNT, on any of the sports, that any of those things I watch, but like, that's kind of criminal. It's it's a complete underdog, especially in the vein. like, Like I mentioned, like kind of the vein of what sports movies are now post any given Sunday. This is a kind of refreshing take on it. Like, right, like it it works in those ones. It it didn't like reinvent the wheel in any way, but I thought it was like refreshment. So with all these cameos, just a bare bones, basic sports structure had like the working class element and it, it was like an hour and a half, right? Maybe close to two hours. I remember, it was super super short movie for like for what we got out of it. There's like so many angles you could take, of what could be added to this thing, and it really doesn't need it. So yeah, I was impressed with it. it just on one viewing, like I said, like for ten minutes on, it kind of keeps that pace. And like I said, when, when the credits roll, and I see how many. NBA players and and one players around there like which goes back to and One we did like what like a month ago or two ago Paul uh seeing the professor on there I was like what like you know these ones you missed made it even better like you know there's a lot of good blending in here so it doesn't seem like even though there's a lot of product placement like you said there is there's a lot of NBA stuff it doesn't seem so like cinematically placed right like with draft day we get these NFL logos and stuff and the this like pseudo look of the NFL official offices right This doesn't feel like that at all. You know, it feels very much like, like you said, situated in the home. Even the office you get, it's like this weird dark corner that he doesn't get to really inhabit till the end of the movie right the 76er thing is pretty quick and it's not a place you want to work at if i'm being honest you know they don't really pump them up as like the facility to you know the dream job of anybody um whereas i feel like a lot of these other ones like draft day when you get that name you got to make that organization look good which speaks to everybody doing pr at the 76ers i think right really knowing uh their fan base and them wanting something that's a little more authentic i think
1: yeah, I love that we're all on board for this. It's interesting how we come at these movies, right? First of all, I think you're both on point. Like Netflix botched this film. They totally dropped the ball on the marketing. The fact that like an Adam Sandler movie that's good, like this is a thumbs up movie. I'll start with that. This is undoubtedly a thumbs up movie. Quality movie. It doesn't even like hit the radar of many people. It's is pretty criminal. Part of me, though, is like, oh, is this SAG-worthy, right? Like, is this, like, in this, like, late season, like, there was talk about him getting one of the best actor spots. And I'm like, this ongoing thing in my head where, like, I like Adam Sandler. I like his low-tier movies, right? In a very, like, nostalgic, juvenile, elementary way. Like, they're just, like, really disposable, easy things to put on in the background. I like his high-tier movies a lot, like Punch Drunk Love, The Meyerowitz Stories, Uncut Gems. I would even throw like the Wedding Singer actually in his higher tier movie. I think that's a good movie. So I like both those. And I like this as a weird synthesis. I feel like this is right in between. It's like kind of prestige, but it's kind of a family-friendly film with a lot of Sandler's digs. Mm-hmm. And so like that's where I start to say, like, oh, maybe this is overrated when I hear people talk about this as like prestige Sandler. But then when I think about like where it fits, I think this is perfect Sandler. Like whereas like Uncut Gems and Punch Drunk Love, he's working with the Safdie brothers and he's working with P.T. Anderson. He's working with these like excellent auteurs who already have a vision and they're going to put any actor in the place to do like amazing work. And I love that Adam Sandler now has taken some of that and he's sort of incorporated into his own brand. So this is a Happy Madison film that's good. And that's such a win, (laughs) like especially in recent memory that I have to call it an underdog film. And my knock that it's not necessarily like sag worthy. The more I think about it, the more I'm not even so gung ho on that take, because he does show quite a bit of range here. Like there's moments where I'm like, oh, he's just Sandler, right? Like when he's doing his shit talking, I like it. But I'm like, are we really going to be giving end of year awards to this? But then there's also those moments when he's talking about like spending six months in jail after the DUI. And he's talking about marinating and having that sit on him for six months. And you actually really hits these poignant, Pathos rich depths. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it, it has a full range of Adam Sandler isms. And by the end, I think I can definitely get behind this as an underdog movie. My only disappointment, this is now totally peripheral, is that director, though, Jeremiah Cigar, I didn't know this as I watched it. I didn't know this at any point. So I'm not going to let this affect my, my rating. And I, I'm with you guys. So we're for three for three. This is an underdog movie. His first movie, his debut was We the Animals, and it was my top three movies of 2020. It's fantastic, it's absolutely amazing. I think it's on Netflix too, completely lost in the algorithm, or they probably got rid of it because it's too good. They get rid of anything that's good, but it was at some point. I saw it in theaters, fell in love with that movie, and I have no problem with Hustle. I don't, as a formulaic sports movie, right? Like it feels good to watch these movies. There was a great Letterboxd review by Matt Singer, who I kn- I don't know him, but like I read a lot of his reviews and he wrote, this is exactly what I want from a sports movie. This is a film that gives a filmmaker a chance to indulge in their small seaside, right? Like they were explaining that, like, sometimes we just need a happy ending, right? Sometimes we just want dreams to come true, right? And sometimes it just feels good to watch a movie and feel good because so many movies are so cynical and dark these days, which also is fun. But sometimes we want those feel good damn movies and this delivers. So I'm not against it on any chance, but it just blew my mind that the person who made We the Animals, which was this intimate, immersive, independent film that had so much texture, that had so much personality, made this. It's just so bizarre to me. So can't knock it, but I really hope that Jeremiah goes back to his previous lane i hope that like this was like okay i'm gonna make some money real quick because like that was a darling film i think it won a ton of awards for like all these things like the independent cinema awards and so forth and why not why not like make i think he's a philly native a film that feels like from your city the big star get a big paycheck but i just hope he goes back to something that's more of the texture of we the animals But it would be dumb to knock it for that reason. But it just shocked me. It just completely baffled me. And I had to throw that in at the end. Um, And for anyone listening, please watch We the Animals. I tried to champion that movie so much. I feel like on deaf ears, it's so damn good. So good. (laughs) Anyways, uh, have either of you seen that? No. Okay. Never. Yeah, it's so damn good. I love it. Anyways, and that pretty much wraps it up. Thanks, Juan, for coming on. It was a blast. And really quick, uh, this is fun. Two days ago, Juan found out that he's moving to Philly. So, <laughs>
2: oh what, very very topical. You know, sometimes the stars align. So it was a uh, it was a pleasure. I really appreciate coming on here, and it, it's always a blast getting to listen to all the podcasts y'all put out. So I appreciate y'all putting in all the effort.
1: Thank you. And uh, what about this movie made you most excited or least excited about about moving to Philly?
2: Definitely, just like the architecture of the the houses. It's so much different than Arizona, you know. So I like just the. The change, you know, not necessarily like one or the other more like objectively, but just the change from one to the other is going to be fun. And I'll have to find that hill and try to run up it a couple of times, and see see what the time is. That'd be pretty fun. Got to Do
0: your Rocky, but best Rocky impression when you get to the top too.
2: Gotta, gotta do the Rocky impression, run through the market, you know, do all the regular sports Philly movie stuff. So those are, those are the biggest ones.
1: <laughs> what was the time again? A minute and 45 seconds or was it just 45 yeah. seconds? Yeah. Yeah. It all was right. a
2: minute, 45 the other thing, you know, I, I mean, I never really thought about it until watching this. But just like the the streetball culture, like in cities, is so much different than I feel like so many other places. Like you have like the the classic chain fence, you know, around them, and it feels, I guess, like pseudo Rutgers Park all the time. So, you know, maybe maybe I'll stop by one of those when I lived in New York for a while. I always walked by and thought, oh, you know, maybe one day I'll go in there. Never never got the courage to do it. So I'll, I'll have to do that on the bucket list while I'm there next year
1: awesome yeah we need to see some i don't know tiktok or snapchat or something we need to, we need to see this. yeah we'll, we'll yeah. retweet it i'm gonna expect you to get that 145 if if, if wancho can get it you can get it
2: appreciate it yeah, yeah i got i got the i don't have six nine legs so hopefully the turnover is a little easier for me
1: true yeah he's deceivingly tall and yeah, last point is, I do love this point about different urban environments or different cities having different textures and styles of basketball. That'd be a really cool like documentary or study oh, to like someone uh, to really like get into that. I love that. That's really cool. I never thought of that because um, have you seen the N1 doc on Netflix?
2: I don't think I've actually seen the documentary. I've only used to watch the the like the- mixtape tour when I was a kid, but it's it's relatively new, right? The, yeah. the documentary like within the last like year.
1: Yes, a uh, quick shout out. So we covered it like a, I don't know, maybe ten to fifteen episodes ago, and cool. it's an untold entry. It's really good. You'll love it. Oh, very, really-
2: very. Right, right, right. That's still like the Monty tail like type one, yeah. right? Like it was also untold. Gotcha. yeah.
1: Yep, it was the second one in the season two of that. I think so. It was right after the Monty Teo one, and uh, you kind of like the rise and fall of Anne one, and not as I think fully developed as the Monty Tao one, which got two episodes,
0: but it's still it's a cool flashback piece yeah it's definitely worth like you say going back to that time especially if you're like a fan of it's bring some cool memories back
2: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah that'd be awesome appreciate the
0: the tip
1: awesome all right everyone uh thanks for listening and jordan where can people i guess interact with us
0: yeah for sure of course uh always hit us up on twitter at cinematic underdogs Uh, If you're listening on Spotify, keep listening on Spotify. You can also find us on iTunes, all the other cool little podcast spots. Just hit up that Google machine. So Google recognizes cinematic underdogs for us. Use that Google search bar, help our SEO. We like that. Um, Any other places they can find us, Paul, that I forgot about?
1: Nah, just just give us a shout anytime. And uh, thanks for listening.